0: Lord, <clears throat> thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And we so need uh, the illumination of God's word to help us to live wisely and rightly in this day and age. And so open our eyes and open our hearts and minds to your will for us and, and show us why it is better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a junior in high school, Uh, I was ranked fourth in the state as a wrestler. And that meant that if I made it to the semifinals, I had to wrestle against the number one seed, who was a two-time state champion and had been undefeated for two years. And so I was going to face him in the semifinals. And so I needed a, needed a, a plan of action, a battle plan. And I needed to study my opponent and know what moves he was going to make in order to counter them. And this guy was the best in the state for on the mat wrestling. You didn't want to be on the mat with him because he was taller than I and a master at the cradle. And the cradle is where you kind of take the head to the the leg, you wrap the guy up and boom, put him on his back. And this guy was like a spider and he would wrap you up in the cradle and uh, turn you to your back. So I knew I do not want to get on the mat with this. I didn't want to go to the mat with this guy. Now, I fancied myself as the best in the state on my feet. And so my game plan was stay off the mat and just do a feet game. So I decided I'm going to just take him down, which gives me two points, and let him up, which gives him one point. And I'll just do this all day, and then I win. It was a great idea. (laughs) Well, it went... It went according to plan for the first two periods. I scored four takedowns, so I was eight points, and he had four escapes. I literally would hit the mat and then push him. I'm like, I am not giving you any chance to touch me (laughs) when we're both down on the mat. So I'm going to third period, going into the third period, eight to four, I'm up. And then he gets the option to choose his position. And, of course, he chooses on top, which means I have to uh, start down on all fours. He's on on top. And whistle blows, and I cannot get out. I cannot escape this guy. Sure sure enough, even though I have been practicing to counter the cradle, somehow my head goes to my knee, and (laughs) he cranks me over. And so the ref is counting uh, back points. So you, once your back gets exposed to the mat, the ref begins to count. One, two, three. Three seconds gives him two points. Four, five seconds gives him three points. It's now eight to seven. I'm ahead by one point. And he's still got me. And so he can't, he can't score any more points. He can pin me but he can't score more, more points unless he goes the opposite direction or changes his move. So uh, I know what he's going to do, which is he is going to try to hold on to that cradle and take me the other direction. And so I, I've been practicing how to counter, the, which is really just go as big and wide as you can and tight as you can. And I, 35, 40 seconds left in the match, I'm like, I'm praying like crazy. God help me, no, no. No. It's going up. It's going. This guy is jumping across my back and blah, throwing all his weight one direction, throwing all his weight the other direction. I held him off. Held him off. Eight-seven. I advanced to the finals, and then I promptly lost. But <laughs> I, I defeated that guy, and that's like one of my highlights in my wrestling career because I had studied my opponent. I knew the move he was going to make, and I had prepared to defeat it. In our text today, the Apostle Paul identifies three enemies of the soul. And we need to know about these so that we can be prepared to defeat them because the enemies of our soul are trying to kill our spiritual life. We need to know about them so that we can resist so turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We, have, uh, we are studying the book of Ephesians. It's a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians living in Ephesus, which I think is a, is a society much like our own. And these are Christian people who need, needed to be warned against uh, the enemies of their soul, the things that would try to keep them from God, and kill their spiritual life. So we're going to begin chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Verse 4, that's what Pastor James gets to preach next week. But God, and praise God that he intervened, because we were dead spiritually. Stone-cold Dead. And that would have been the state if God didn't intervene. So, next week, Pastor James is going to preach verses four through nine and talk about the great salvation God accomplished for us in the person of Jesus Christ. By the way, I want you to get the most out of this series, and I've been telling you three things you can do to get the most out of the series. Number one, don't miss the sermons. If you can't be here physically, you can catch them online. Number two, read and reread the letter of Ephesians. You can do the whole thing in 30 minutes you want the language the image images and the truth of ephesians to be tumbling around in your head and heart and frankly that gives the holy spirit more ammunition with which to transform us into the image of jesus christ and then finally take advantage of the online bible study that we've purchased with right now media so we have purchased access for all of our people for right now media it's kind of like christian netflix and there is a there are a number of online Bible studies through Ephesians. And if you don't know how to get access to that, just talk to Pastor James or me and we'll let you, we'll give you access. But the Bible study we're recommending is by J.D. Greer on Ephesians. It's, it seems to be excellent. All right, back to verse 1. Now, the three enemies of the soul that Paul identifies here are the world, the devil, and And the flesh, the world, the devil, and the flesh. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Who's the you? Uh, The Christians in Ephesus, most of whom had been born as Gentiles uh, without hope, without God in the world, but then they became followers of, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, but And Paul's talking here about uh, their life before becoming Christians, which was characterized by death, spiritual death. They were spiritually dead, even though many of them had been quite religious and very concerned about the spiritual life. But they were actually dead despite their uh, going to the temples and despite all their religious deeds, they were alienated from God. The life of God was not at all a part of their existence. So you can be a very religious person, and you can be spiritually dead. And that's the way, uh, that's the way these Ephesians were before they came to Christ, and that's the way we all were. We all start out life dead spiritually. And it's only when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ and and become indwelt by the Holy Spirit, as he talked about in chapter 1, do we become alive to God. But apart from Christ, it's just death and only death spiritually. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, the word Trespass has the idea of going beyond the bounds that God has established, you know, breaking his law, uh, doing what he said not to do. And sins is a little bit more of a generic term describing uh, the life that is flows out of uh, a heart of rebellion and disobedience to God. But together, trespasses and sins, they just describe uh, a life that is Lived contrary to the will of God. And so the spiritual deadness came about through their sinfulness, and it was also evidence. Their sinfulness was also evidence of their spiritual death. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, this is a very, very important spiritual principle that we need to understand. Sin kills spiritual life. Sin kills spiritual life. I think there are way too many Christians who are casual about their sin. And they have so defined, uh, they've defined the Christian life as being all about belief. Having right theology. It's absolutely important to have right theology. But right theology is intended to... Result in right living. And sin brings death. And, and the, the Paul's assumption here is that you once walked this way. This, this used to be the way you lived. But now you live differently. But as we go through this, I think we will all be convicted, I'm sure, that unfortunately, uh, even though Christ died to set us free from sin... We are allowing the enemies of the soul to have some control in our lives. And you know what that does? It robs us from the spiritual life that God wants for us. You you cannot have the spiritual life God wants you to have and, and, and engage in sinful behavior. The Christian life is not just right theology, it's right practice as well. And what we do matters. What we do, body matters. We think, what we say, how we treat other people, direct impact on our spiritual life. It does. Sin kills spiritual life. And for the Christian, our sin doesn't separate us from God. It, we're not we're, it's not like we're no longer his children, but it will bring down his discipline and it will keep us from the life Uh, enjoying the abundant life that he wants for us. So now he talks about the the first enemy, which is the world. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the course of this world. Uh, In the original language, it's the age of the world. You and I are born into a culture. Everyone's born into a culture. We don't We come into an, a world that existed. We enter into a culture that pre-exists us, and it, it has its own value system. It applauds certain things, and it boos other things. And it says, "That's worthy of pursuit, and that's not worthy of pursuit." And do not fool yourself. You are largely we are largely a product. Of the culture in which we live, it shapes us, it marks us indelibly. In fact, Romans chapter 12 says, "Apart from the uh, transforming work of the uh, of the Word of God, we will be conformed to God's system. Don't be conformed to the power. Uh, so, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." you will be conformed to the culture in which you live unless you make a choice not to be and and because you've critiqued it with the will with the word of god be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is that perfect pleasing will of god so this is what is so so important to understand the, culture is a giant river and you're in it and it's carrying you along and unless you swim against the the current it's going to take you into sin right that's what what Paul says here you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked following the course of this world so In every culture, there are admirable things. But in every culture, there are also sinful things. And that is true of America. There are a lot of things in our culture that are applauded that God says, that's not good. And there are things that the the world mocks that God says, I want you doing that. And so if all we do is just look around us, and uncritically take in the value system of our society, it's going to lead us to transgressions and sins. It's going to damage our spiritual life. It's going to kill off good stuff that God wants for us. And you don't don't even have to... What's so um, dangerous about this is it doesn't even require a choice. It will just take you there. Without even thinking, you just you're just going along like everyone else, and it takes you right into sinful uh, acts. So let's bring let's run a f- just a few examples. I, I really encourage you to um, think critically about American culture and ask yourself the question: uh, You know, what aspects of of the society in which I live? are actually drawing me away from the Lord and harming me spiritually and that I need to resist and not go there. So let's think of a few. Um, Now, um, American culture is not unified. There's division. There's such a thing as the dominant culture, right? And so philosophers talk about America as being a a post-Christian nation. In other words, we are increasingly uh we we move we are moving farther and farther away from from a biblical Christian uh, worldview and ethic we are now a post-christian nation so I would suggest to you that the dominant culture says uh, it is okay to live out of balance in the short run in order to get ahead financially right sometimes you Burn the candle at both ends. Sometimes you got to be out of balance in order to succeed. Climb the corporate ladder, you get your degree, uh, you know, win the competition. And and hopefully it's gonna only be temporary because hopefully you will succeed, and then you, you know, then you'll have enough money and and uh in order to get back to being balanced. But it but a temporary out of balance life, burning the candles at both ends is acceptable in order to succeed. But think about that. When you are out of balance, so let's say you adopt that, because that's what society tells you. Success is so important. Financial, you know, financial gain is so important that it's okay to make temporary out of balance, live temporarily out of balance. But when you're out of balance, are you reading your Bible and praying? So are you giving God the time and energy he deserves? If you're married, are you giving your spouse the time and energy? If you have kiddos, are you attending church and giving it the priority? Are you serving? Are you available to other people? And I would submit to you that it will be hard not to sin if you just ingest that value and live out of it. Here's another one. Let me suggest that the, regarding marriage, that the dominant culture says, first off, marriage is optional. You don't have to get married. Uh, you can, you know, be in these monogamous, uh, long-time relationships without marriage. But if you choose to get married, and that's perfectly fine. In fact, that's a noble thing. And if you do get married, it's worth, it's worth making a great effort toward. It's worth, you know, being faithful toward your marriage. But there are limits, right? You're in it to be happy. Life is too short to, to waste time in an unhappy marriage. So after, after giving it a, a good shot, if you conclude that it's not going to, you know, be what you had hoped it would be and things are not going to turn around or be, you know, it'd be too hard, it's going to take too much effort to turn it around, then you abandon the marriage. That's the dominant culture that's what we we hear in our songs and in in our movies and our TV and that's what you know that's what's modeled for us if we as christians just adopt that uncritically where where what's where is that going to lead us it will almost certainly lead us to giving up on marriage long before god authorizes it and the God who says, I hate divorce, all of a sudden his, his, his people are divorcing each other and, and damaging a key picture of Christ to the church. Here's another big one. <clears throat> and it, this has to do with uh, the whole issue of tolerance. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, well, let me set it up this way and just say... Um, Regarding tolerance and homosexuality, the dominant culture says love is love, and limiting other people's pursuit of love is mean-spirited, it's bigoted, it's who who are you to to tell other people they can't go find love where they want to find love? And it's actually wrong to do any, at a minimum, keep your mouth shut. And it's more noble to applaud people as they seek to find love. And yet, and, and that is absolutely, that is the dominant culture. We are, we are, this is being pushed constantly, constantly. And our young people especially, this is what they hear. And I encounter so many young Christians who have ingested this deep into their hearts and and they they it undermines their confidence in the Word of God. They're not sure about Christianity because they've so deeply swallowed this idea that judging homosexuality to be wrong and and, and taking a a stance against it as it 's not right and it 's not good for people and it 's not the will of God that is just seems so mean spirited that it undermines their confidence in in Christianity as a whole, and the temptation of course, is to then back away from that in order to be uh, acceptable but listen to this here 's Romans chapter one in Romans chapter one verse thirty two Paul warns us against approving of wicked practices. Verse 32, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, and we'll talk briefly about what some of those things are, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And just a few verses earlier, he has, spe- he has specifically outlined uh, homosexuality as one of those problems. One of those wicked practices. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nation, nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. Right? Now, that's not the only thing. He also lists envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, haters of God, slanderers, haughty, boastful. But, you know, the reason this is such a hot topic in the church is because it really comes down to the question of who gets to decide whether something is right or wrong or good or bad. God or society? You or God? And so it is a dividing line in the heart. This is why it's a critical issue for the church. Um, I, don't, I don't think, you know, uh, yeah. Sin, sin is sin, and sin separates us from the, from, from the Lord. But in our current cultural situation, this is an area in which culture is saying, One thing, and God says another thing, and and every Christian is forced to to answer the question, who do I believe? Right? Who gets to determine what is right and wrong for me? Do I get to do it? Does my teacher get to do it? Does my MTV, does my favorite singer, right? And if if you conclude... No God and yes to yourself and yes to someone else, where does that leave you spiritually? It's a big, big deal. All right, so we could go on. There are many, many points, and an increasing number of points in our society in which society is applauding sin and booing righteousness. (laughs) And if we're not critical thinkers, and if we are not countercultural, the end result is we will be drift. We will drift right into sin. So unless actively resisted, culture's current will drift you into sin, and you don't even have to think about it. So that's the world, and it's a huge force. Uh, it's a, a huge. If you follow the course of this world, it's going to just take you into transgressions and sins. By the way, we also have to be discerning in what influence we allow. You know, there's a whole lot of society's um, influence that we can't avoid because we just live, live here. But then there's the choices that we make, right? I'm constantly personally connected about what Netflix, or Netflix, it's out, Amazon, man. What Amazon Prime shows am I going to watch? What music am I going to listen to? What, what books am I going to read? Those are choices I make to, to ingest values. And I think we as Christians are responsible before God for those choices. And don't think to yourself, you know, songs don't influence me. Movies don't influence me. Yeah, they do. They influenced me. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Implication being, you Christians have stopped following the course of this word. You become countercultural. You have allowed the Word of God to transform, to renew your mind and transform you. Here's the the devil, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. And that's the same word that is used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. So the devil is energetically at work in the sons of disobedience. For what purpose? The devil's purpose is to keep you away from God, to keep you spiritually dead, I've heard it said that the the most dangerous place to be is on a battlefield and not know it. You have an enemy who is energetically working to keep you from God and from the life he has for you. Don't be naive. He works through the world system, absolutely. He's, He's putting ideas out there. He puts temptations in your way. He desperately wants to keep you from the life that God has for you. He wants to handicap you as a Christian so you're ineffective in the spiritual battle and on and on. Now, in chapter 6, Paul's going to talk about that spiritual battle and tells us how to resist the devil, and so, you know, we'll deal with that more when we get there. But at this point, just, just understand that you have an enemy who is hell-bent on uh, hurting you spiritually, and God does give us the, the tools and the power to resist by his spirit. So we've talked about the, the first enemy of the soul is the, the world system. The second enemy of the soul is the devil. And the final is the flesh. So Paul now goes from talking about and you to now naming himself as well. Among whom so we were all living amongst the sons of disobedience. By the way, that's that is a another description of the unbeliever, the sons of disobedience, which it's a way of saying people whose whole life can be characterized as disobeying God. You know, the fundamental description of of unregenerate non-Christian people, even those who th- act like they're very spiritual and are very religious is they are sons of disobedience because their whole life is characterized by as disobeying God. Because God has commanded all people everywhere to repent and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. I don't care how spiritual you are. If you don't do that, you're disobeying God and you're a son of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we've talked about the world, the devil, and now the flesh. The flesh is a, uh, a primary enemy of the soul. So the, the flesh does three things about the flesh. Number one, seeks pleasure. The, the body wants physical pleasure. Mine does and yours does. The flesh wants pleasure. Number two, the flesh wants to avoid pain. Run from pain. Do not take on suffering. And number three, the the flesh is all about the, the self. I want what I want and I want to be number one. It's all about me. Pleasure, pain, and self. Selfishness is another way to say that. Now, not all pleasure is bad. Sabrina and I just spent three days in uh, California. Went to I went to Montana to marry uh, a young couple, and it snowed on us. And because we like pleasure, Sabrina paid three hundred more dollars, and we headed down to California. And we had three days of pleasurable sun and very good food. Very good food. Funnel cake Sunday. Who knew? It was incredible. Two scoops of vanilla, no, strawberry ice cream, bananas, strawberry and raspberry sauce, chocolate and whipped cream. It was awesome. I wanted it two days in a row, and she kept me to one. I wanted my pleasure. It was awesome. We, had some, we just had a good time. Chilean sea bass, oh, amazing. Butter, a butter cake with vanilla ice cream. California had some good food. I like it. It's a pleasure. But it can get out of control, right? Pleasure is, God has built lots of pleasure in life. He's not trying to keep us from pleasure. But my desire for pleasure can lead me to sin, right? Because it can lead me to go way beyond the bounds that God has set for me. So food, that's, you know, food. Food is a pleasure. It's a good thing but it can absolutely become sinful when we spend too much time and energy on food, when we eat to the point that it keeps us from being as healthy as we could be and we don't have the energy that we could have to go about doing the will of God, right? Sex. God's the one who invented sex. That was revolutionary for me in eighth grade, by the way. When a pastor told me that, I'm like, that's very interesting, and he said, God wants you to have sex and lots of it just in the context of marriage. I said, okay, I can wait for that. Holy cow, it's twenty. I was 25 when I got married. I waited long enough. Some of you are waiting long enough. Just go ask somebody to marry you. <laughs> it's better to marry than burn. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so anyways, pleasure, sexual pleasure. It's great. I really like it. In, but it's in marriage. And, but that desire for sexual pleasure, which God gave us and has given us a, a, an outlet for that to be satisfied, can absolutely take us way in, deep into sin. And so out of a desire to have sexual pleasure, people go, I don't even have to name it, they go all over the place and, and they get deep into sin. Uh, and so you can think of other other pleasures, right? So So the flesh that wants pleasure, 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 well when when we prioritize pleasure over the will of God, it can it can take us to very bad places and damage our spiritual life. Number two, the, the flesh wants to avoid pain, of course, right? And, and God does not expect us to embrace pain without a purpose. But as I've said before, you had better build pain into your vision of the Christian life because Jesus said, pick up your cross and come follow me. That was the, the great instrument of pain was the cross. Pick up your pain and come follow me. Jesus embraced pain in order to save the world, and he asks his followers to also take on pain and suffering for the benefit of other people. The gospel can't get out. People can't be counseled. There's just so much good that only comes about through God's people willingly taking on pain. Even if it's just being nice and listening to somebody who is kind of annoying and you don't really want to talk to, but you do it because you know God loves that person and they matter to God and He has asked, he's asked you to be kind. And it could be moving across the world and leaving the people you care about in order to go do mission work and all kinds of stuff. Ta- uh, sharing the gospel and taking the risk of a backlash. And, and so when we, or... Serving in children's ministry—probably so many people need to do in the fall. We don't have children's ministry in the summer, but in the fall, some of you are going to be asked to suffer. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, should I? I that. That's my recruiting technique. Children's ministry recruiting. God wants you to pick up your cross. That's probably a little kid. About that tall. All right. So, anyways. Yeah. So we naturally avoid pain, understandable, but that becomes a problem when it, inner, it when it gets in the way of us doing what God has called us to do. Make sense? And then finally, the the flesh wants the self. Uh, it's about it's me. I, it's all about me. I I want what is do me. I want uh, to be number one. I want to I want to. Get the most. And when we and that cuts against you know loving our neighbor as ourself. So here's a list uh of the flesh in action, the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter five, verse 19 and 20. You might want to write this down, you might might want to meditate. You know, we meditate a lot on what follows, the but the fruit of the spirit is. Uh, but maybe we should memorize 19 and 20 so that we can flee from these things when we recognize ourselves giving into this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. What he's saying there is, I didn't even have to think very long to write this list down. It just came to me because I deal with this. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, there's more. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What we do matters and it directly affects our spiritual life. The world, the devil, the flesh, These are enemies of the soul. They're constantly battling. They're constantly trying to kill the spiritual life that God is producing in us by His Spirit. We have to be alert and resistant. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and were by nature children of wrath. So by nature, he's talking about uh, you were born into this, right? He's talking about the fact that because Adam sinned, you and I inherited a sin nature. We were born into sin. And not only were we born with a sin nature, we then acted out and we sinned. And what does sin bring down the wrath of God the Bible says this repeatedly the wrath of God rests upon you because of your sin that's before Christ praise God the wrath of God that rested upon me because of my sin was placed onto Jesus Christ and Jesus died and satisfied the wrath of God, paid the penalty for my sin so that I can live. God's wrath rests upon all people whose sins have not yet been atoned for by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood is sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world, but only those who say, save me, benefit from his death. So, Paul is talking to Christian people who, praise God, he could say, you were once like this, you were once dead, but now you've been made alive in Christ. And so, they could look at this and say, you know what, that's true, that that was my life before Jesus. But you might be here. Or you might be watching and saying, I've never come out of that. That's still me. It doesn't have to be. And that's what James is going to talk about next week. But God made us alive in Christ. God, despite that was our situation, but God acted on our behalf so that we could be made alive. And, and that's the gospel, the good news that that. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, left heaven and he came to earth and he, and he died upon the cross to take upon himself the punishment for our sin. And because he died, we don't have to die. By his stripes we are healed. And we can be reconciled to God, not by becoming super good people, because none of us will perfectly resist the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. None of us will. We will never be good enough. It's by grace you are saved, grace on undeserved favor of God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, Pastor James is going to push, really clarify that next, next week. But you and I have a sin problem, and the solution is faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus deals with our sin problem so that we can be we can go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive in Jesus Christ. And that, that, for all people who become Christians, it happens in a moment. It's a moment of decision. Every relationship has a beginning. There is a moment in which, as in chapter 1, uh, it says, "...in Him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit." When you hear the gospel and you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved. You're, you're made alive, and the Spirit of God indwells you. And if you make that decision today, please come talk to me. or Actually, talk to whoever brought you, because most likely they're Christians, and they can share the great joy of you becoming a Christian. If you don't trust that, no, just kidding. If you don't know the people you came with, then go talk to Pastor James or me. We'd love to share there. Uh, that moment and talk to you about next steps of following Jesus. Great enemies of the soul seeking to kill the life that God is producing in us through Jesus, but guess what? Here, I want to leave you on this great high note, this promise, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The same power of God that brought Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father is available to you in your fight against sin. And so we can overcome the enemies of the soul by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. We've got to make every effort. We've got to partner with him in that. And when we say, God, I want to be free of sin, help me, and we apply ourselves to that, Those are, that's the kind of prayer that God answers uh, with enthusiasm because it's right in line with his will. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for warning us of these enemies of our soul, so that we can be alert and prepare to resist, so that we can have victory in the power of your Spirit. Lord, I have, uh, your word testifies to it, and I have tasted and, and seen that The more sin I get out of my life, the happier I am. Sin kills spiritual life. I want it out of my life. We want it out of our lives. Help us, God, by your spirit and your truth. In Jesus' name.